2: Hi there and welcome to episode 11 of Hometown Glory, your Spurs and Culture podcast. I'm Charlie and we've also got Ash, Rosa and Tom in tonight. Billy uh, is unfortunately celebrating his birthday so can't be with us. But we wish, of course, our pal a very happy 50th birthday and hope he's enjoyed his big day. Um, Right, we're recording as Spurs stand on the edge of potential glory or disaster. The past week has suggested it might be the latter, with the bracing, humbling and completely inept defeat at Chelsea in the first leg of the League Cup semi, followed by 70 minutes of agonising FA Cup action at home to Morecambe. Fortunately, though, Lucas Moura saved the day and we lived to fight another day against Brighton in the fourth round. Now, I want to know, how did everyone find those two gruelling matches? Um, much has been made of what a reality check they've been for Antonio Conte and us fans. Um, has it drained us of all hope? Tom, hope-wise, where are you? <laughs>
0: I think those the two games against Chelsea and Morecambe just really reminded me that we've got no strength in depth to be honest. It's embarrassing that we have to bring on our best players uh, against teams like Morecambe and Moura and that we need to yeah, we need to bring on Kane and um, Lucas against Morecambe to save the day. It just feels like we should at this point be able to rotate people into our team and you know the Chelsea Chelsea's strength and depth is just um, ridiculous. Obviously, they've got a lot of money to spend. They started a £100 million striker uh, against us who has been out of the team for a lot of the season. But their second eleven, I would take most of their second eleven, and particularly any of their central midfielders, Kovacic, um, Jorginho, Ruben Loftus-Cheek, Kante, like their depth is incredible and... Yeah, that, those two games just reminded me of, of that. And kind of being 5-0 down to Chelsea on aggregate over two games this season is pretty awful, isn't it, really? And another one to come. and Sorry, two more to come very soon.
2: In the next fortnight, which is just staggering. Um, Rosa, are you similarly kind of morose following those two games? Is there anything you took from them to draw positives from?
3: Mm, not really. I think there was just nothing new. Um, I think we we sort of talked about it last week, didn't we? Really, where we said we can't rely on the second string, and we. But I also feel like we've never been able to rely on them. I was discussing this earlier, and like even when we were good like even when we were at our best under Potch, I just like, we never did it. We never, we never did it in the FA Cup. We never did it in the Europa League. There was never anything beyond more than what, like 14 players max who you could really rely on, I don't think. So in a way, like, I, like nothing about the Morecambe game, the way it played out surprised me really. Um, I'm not, I just, we we can't be looking at that at, at this stage, to be honest. I think, so that game for me is sort of by the by, really. I think the Chelsea game was pretty depressing though, I've got to say, because I just thought they'd be more up for it. And I'm so tired of like not, of them not being up for it. I don't mind if you're not as good. You're never going to be as, I mean, without all the sort of money and everything that Chelsea have behind them, it's not likely that we're going to be able to match the champions of Europe on a sort of skill level alone but they looked quite beaten from early on which was just which was the most depressing thing I think it just felt like if we did improve in the second half I guess but you know I, I am I'm trying to find positives and I think the only thing that I can look at I guess is if I look at everything sort of overall so if I look at Um, the Liverpool game and the Watford game and most of the Southampton game. That shows me a reasonable amount of quality at times and a reasonable amount of desire at times and fighting to the end of the Watford game. So that's there, just like none of it happened at Chelsea. And Chelsea is the team that we have to play twice. And it doesn't make me feel especially good about a North London derby either, because if you can't get up for that, I, I don't know. So I'm trying, I'm trying to look for, for the positives, but I don't feel great.
2: It was, Um. I mean, I suppose in a way they were up for it in the sense that they were just completely terrified by it. And the, you know, the, these occasions, it doesn't matter who's managing us. It doesn't matter which players are sort of wearing our shirt. It just seems to be this recurring theme that they just go to bits in these, in these matches. And, you know, it seems to be sort of sending Conte into, you know, a bit of a tailspin that he's having to perform, you know, miracles, not just on a sort of tactical skill level, but also he's expected to sort of completely change the DNA of, of these players in terms of how they approach these games, which might just mean that, you know, not too many of them are are here by the end of the summer, perhaps. Um, Ash, tell me tell me your thoughts about the last the last week. Um, I don't think there are any positives like at all,
4: to be brutally honest. Like the only positive is that I forgot that the Morecambe game was actually happening. So I forgot to buy a ticket and therefore was like out doing something else. But I don't think it's even a question of quality because obviously that second string side is better than Morecambe, but it's just the mentality and There are just so many games you can point to over the past, well, the entire existence of like the football club where they like show up and like just aren't up for it from the first minute. And that's been Pochettino, Mourinho, Nuno, like, and now under like this guy who's like one of the best managers in the world. So it's really frustrating. And I don't know like how that changes, to be brutally honest. I mean, even you look back at, the height of Pochettino and, like, getting to the Champions League final. And even in the semi, it's like, you know that you're one nil down away at Ajax and they start slowly and put themselves in this impossible position. And, like, lo and behold, the, like, one player with, like, a proper mentality, like, digs them out. And, like, he had to come on and do the same, like, at the weekend. And it's just really boring. And it doesn't really give you, like, a lot of confidence going into any serious game. And, like, the Chelsea game, you know, like, you're away from home, you've won there once in, what, 30-odd games. Like, the first 10, 15 minutes just be like, get on the ball, not give away any chances, and they just shit the bed straight away. And it's just a huge problem, like, at the club. Like, I don't think it's even the, even the quality, genuinely. Like, there's a, there's a huge issue amongst just everyone. Maybe, like, we're... Maybe we're part of it as well. I'm not sure, but yeah, it's a big problem.
2: Um, speaking of mentality, I feel like there's one player that's sort of grabbed headlines regarding his mentality and his approach to the Morgan game, particularly. Um, that's of course Tongi and Don Where, where, where do you guys stand with with Tongi now, Ash? I want to go to you first. I feel like. You've been sort of defending his honor. You've been sort of cheerleading as best you possibly could in the face of growing evidence that this is a guy that um, is sort of stringing us all along, really. How it was was you know that that slow walk off the pitch and you know basically a sort of you know sticking a middle, a middle finger up to the fans was it the final straw? Have you given up on him? Where are you? I think he's done now i don't
4: I don't know what the like slow walking off thing is. I think that that's just him all over. i don't think thats I don't think it means anything per se. I think that's just like who he is but um yeah, I just don't know who scoured him and saw that he like walks around and like warms up in the way that he does and thought like, yep, yeah, let's make this guy the record signing and i think i I always wanted to defend him. And have done because those are the kind of players that like I love to watch, and they seem like Spurs players. But yeah. if he can't be asked, just like there's no point, and it's really frustrating because I think if he did, if he could be bothered, he'd be brilliant, and he's exactly the kind of player that we need, which is the worst thing about it.
0: You'd also assume that he doesn't like want to play himself into a move either because. You know, you think he'd want a couple of big performances so he can get a move to a half-decent club, but he's not, still not putting in any effort. So I don't know what he wants for for his future. And we're certainly not going to get anywhere near what we paid for him back, are we? And I don't know who's going to pay him £200,000 a week like we are.
3: This is it. Like, I... I try not to get angry at individual players in that way. And I try not to be a kind of, oh, they get paid so much money and like give nurses footballers wages and stuff like that. But like fucking hell, man, Tonky, like give a nurse your wages. (laughs) Like I can't, like he's made so much money and he's done nothing, like nothing. I can't, I can't fathom that sort of, sometimes I think I've got a bad work ethic, but like, like i don't i don't know i just i think he just must be sort of slightly delusional as well i feel like is does he just read like like tongi truther twitter the whole time where they're all like people are just constantly like like turning themselves inside out to defend him in ways that are sort of Hilarious and also quite sad, but it's just like, is that all he reads? And then he thinks based on this, I'm definitely going to get like a move to like what was it today, like a big Champions League club. Like maybe he is like his agent has is obviously a genius because like we fell for it, or then maybe we're the only club in the world who would do that. I don't know. The whole thing is just so infuriating and baffling, and I'm just just now I'm like I'm sick of it. I mm. just get rid. And to be honest, as so you can join him. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, Billy in our text group today shared some stats with us um, apparently Tongi has made seven big chances in two and a half years at Spurs um, for context Hoybier has made five this season um, and Son has made 30 in the same time uh, aside from all the goals that Son scores of course Um I just, yeah, it's just what What do we do with him? I mean, like everyone said, he's on 200 grand a week. He's got another, I think, what, three years, two and a half years on his contract because we gave him a six-year deal. Um, and, I'm, you know, I'm always loath to sort of question players' mentality too much based on, you know, reports and speculation or the rest of it because I think it's a very complex thing and, you know, who knows really what's going on but it does seem like he he plays with the attitude of someone that feels that Tottenham are beneath him and that you know he can't understand why he's not playing for Real Madrid or Bayern Munich or someone and like tom says it's just it's just utterly baffling that he can't even put a shift in against Morecambe to sort of catch the eye of a potential suitor if he does want away so badly but then today you see reports that actually he's perfectly happy at Spurs apparently and you know he probably is because he's you know he's earning two hundred grand a week to not really play football all that often. So perhaps who knows? again, i I, I feel like questioning mentality of footballers is, is is a sort of dodgy dodgy line. I know that like, in the midst of like him walking off slowly,
4: like everyone's sort of concentrated on that. But going back to the mentality thing and like the way that we played over the past like two games, like that isn't the main issue or the main thing that like con- really concerns me at all like we I like we know what he's like and what he's been like because we're like two years into this thing now with like him and the Celso but there are so many issues at play like we can talk about like Tanganga for example or Delhi and there's just so many problems and I like it's easy for us to just like I don't know go on the, the tangai thing for like an hour because yeah. you can talk about him all day but yeah we've got a lot of problems
2: Well, I mean, I I think for me, I think watching the game on on Sunday, the the biggest thing was, again, just Tottenham Hotspur playing a game of football without a striker because we have one striker on our books. And, you know, someone like Brian Hill, for example, it is really quite damaging to his development and progression as a Spurs player to have to play in those sort of matches. You know, he finally has an opportunity against what should be a really fun team for him to be up against at home. And instead, he sort of forced the players like a false nine running around, doing his best, but with no clear idea of what he's supposed to be doing. He's not physically built to play up front against Morecambe in a cup tie. And, you know, because of this completely, you know, ridiculous failure of squad management, this self-destructive thing that we've been obsessed by for years and not really Ever, ever getting a competent backup or partner for Kane or whatever, you know, we have to watch these teams that can't even take apart Morecambe because they're not built in the proper way. It's ludicrous. They could have, that that team, that first team that started on Sunday, could have played for about four and a half hours without scoring a goal, without Lucas or Kane coming on to save the day. It was preposterous, and part of it is because. You know, a lot of those players are not good enough to play for Spurs, but a lot of it is that we have been left with this lopsided, bizarre squad, this sort of Frankenstein's monster of all these different players that have been bought for different managers with, you know, ignoring these huge glaring gaps in the squad that we have, you know, players like Joe Roden, these sort of not good enough guys that were cheap that came in instead of other players. It's it's that the, the depth is a is a mess. Tom, stop me before I sort of collapse.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think um we kind of have to mention that Conte's not blameless in this, at least in for the Chelsea game, particularly, I think. He should now know that he can't play Skip and Pierre together, or at least that there's nowhere near enough creativity at centre mid. I think a week ago I said Skip was playing really well and Chelsea are so strong in the middle and control games that this is, it's a massive game for Skip but he didn't rise to the occasion and I, I think me and you, Charlie, are both massive Hoybier fans but he needs a rest or he needs to... I don't know what he needs but he's not playing very well. He was... i undo Jose. He was potentially my favourite player. He was certainly our best defensive player for quite a while and really protected the um the defense when it was so shaky but oh my god he's in a really bad run of form and i, I mm. think um conte needs to give him give him a rest really and and look, play some combination of Lo Celso, skip and winks
2: yeah i i feel like lacelso is actually i mean there's so much you could sort of <laughs> use in the the anti LaCelso argument but I've got, and I think I've said this on previous podcasts, but I feel like he's going to end up being a bit of a Conte favourite. I don't know why. I just feel like, and um, perhaps we'll go on to talk about Son's injury and who sort of steps up to replace him in the 11 and if there might be a little formation tweak or something to, to figure out how we do solve that. But I've just got a feeling that the Celson might have a, a sort of third act at Spurs, perhaps. Hoybier, I think, is, like you say, Tom. I think you and I have been massive fans, sort of slash defenders. But you know, even even I can recognise here, here is a guy who needs a rest. He needs to be taken out of the firing line. Um, I think a lot of the stuff that I've seen on Twitter, quite honestly, is like wildly over the top. And I think you know, I could talk about that, but but won't. But yeah, he I think maybe it's time for a different combination of players. Rosa, what would you do if I am midfield?
3: Yeah, the Hojbjerg thing is just really, it's such an interesting one though, isn't it? Because I feel like we talk about this all the time um, and we've been saying it for weeks that he, that he obviously needs a break and it's time for another combination in midfield. But like, he doesn't even get substituted. So I feel like, are we missing something? Do you know what I mean? Like, I watch these games mm. and I think, what, what am I not seeing? What What does he have? What is he bringing? Is it that, you know, he's older? Is Conte trying to protect Skip because Skip's so young? It's just really baffling to me. Like The Skip thing was a bit of a shame, wasn't it? Because I thought, I did have the sort of fear that he might kind of go into this game with all that pressure and then it would just be Mm -hmm. a bit too much, to be honest. And I want to defend him on the basis of his age, but then it's also, you know, we've also been talking about how good somebody like Declan Rice is. So... But then, at the same time, you know these are these are the players that we have, and I don't want to, yeah. you know, I don't want to yeah. hate on all of them. So, and he's one of our, <laughs> you know, <laughs> bright um, spots. So I don't know. I think at this point, I would I would take Koivuier out, and I would and I would like to see you know Skip and Winks. Maybe um, I guess that's part of the problem with Ndombélé, isn't it? Because the formation that worked against Liverpool was him, but now we, we can't presumably play him. I don't know. Maybe we can. Mm. I don't know, the Hojbjerg thing is just one of those mad things where I think, maybe but it was sort of similar with Eric Dyer, really, where he just kept being picked and kept being played by every manager and I just couldn't. I was like, you're terrible, get out of my club. And now I'm absolutely furious at him because he wasn't available <laughs> last week. <laughs>
2: I guess, <laughs> so, I guess I don't a lot know. of it, you know, I, I imagine that Conte has come in and tried to identify players that he can rely on in terms of, you know, sticking up for his teammates, being a sort of leader on the pitch and we are not blessed with too many of them, it seems. And, you know, for all of Hoybier's limitations, I guess, you know, Jose felt exactly the same. You know, he was constantly having to bring Hoybier on in, I seem to remember, tons of those like crappy Europa games where we were wobbling and Hoybier would come on and it would all sort of calm down again because he would sort of organize things and, you know, do that kind of, um, unsexy stuff. I think the difference now is that Hoybier seems to be playing at a much more exhausted <laughs> level and, you know, can't really rely on him sort of pointing at people and shouting and doing all that organising if he's not able to actually execute at a decent level. I, I also wonder as well with him if he's suffering post-Covid and, you know, he seems to have had a significant dip since coming out of the team Um
0: Worth saying, but he's also played a hell of a lot of football, hasn't he, OBA? Yeah. I think, did he play every minute of the Premier League season last season?
2: Yeah, he was one of two players. I think it was him and War Prouse played every minute for outfield players. Yeah, and then the Euros as well. Of course, the summer yeah. as well. You know, that was a big emotional summer. So I think it's just whether or not Conte feels, I guess, he can take him out for the games you've got coming up. And if he does feel like here is one you know, of my very few on-field leaders, there aren't really bigger fixtures than a sort of cup, semi-final, second leg against Chelsea and then a North London derby. Um, We should talk about the Chelsea game. Um, Is anyone confident? Does anyone think we're going to do it?
3: Just resounding silence, really.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Not particularly.
4: Um, I mean, the, the 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 mad thing about that whole game is that we're still in this tie. Like, we, yeah. if we nick an early goal and, you know, we're at home, who knows? But like I said before, you made the point about Hoyberg and the lack of leaders. There's just, there's just a squad full of children. And, like, it's hard to really think who you can rely on in those, like, moments. But we're definitely still in it, so who knows? But I'm not, I'm not that hopeful, to be really honest. I was, Chelsea, I was talking to too a... Much
2: depth. I was talking to a Chelsea mate and they were um they were really really annoyed that uh we they didn't get the third goal they're sort of overwhelming you know obviously they were pleased that they outplayed us and and you know we didn't score and all that sort of stuff but they were just so pissed off that they didn't get a third goal and just put the game to, put the tie to bed and that there there is now this lingering thing where Like you say, Ash, if we do start well and we don't concede a silly goal in the first sort of 20 minutes or whatever, and, you know, Lucas is on one, Kane perhaps has one of those matches, who knows? Tom, are you feeling in any way confident?
0: What's the dire situation? (laughs) (laughs) That's my main question.
2: Will he be back? I mean, Conte seemed to suggest that the... I think he said it was a calf injury that he picked up in training on Saturday and he seemed hopeful it wasn't a major one. Now, whether that means he can play at Chelsea, I don't know, or if he meant perhaps more, you know, he'll be back for the derby on Sunday, I don't know, but I I mean, what a mad world that we're like praying for Eric Dyer to come through in terms of, you know, what a staggering improvement Eric Dyer has made in his form that he is now also, from a leadership perspective as well, because I think you know we saw in the in the Chelsea first the first leg, like what a shambles we were in terms of organisation mm. without him, you know, sorting them out back there.
0: Sorry, but I just can't watch Tanganga against Chelsea midweek.
2: It's just not fair. It feels it's, like we're mm. putting him in harm's way now, and it's 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 it's, it's cruel almost. Yeah, that's the biggest f- problem. Like am I, I know that like
4: everyone was really mad at like Ndombele, but I like, looked at the past two games and it's like you've got a player who's cost you three goals, basically, in like 180 minutes of football. And we all want him to do well and he's like a local guy and he seems like a nice guy as well, but he is just way off this level. And I really think, and I, I've said this in the past and everyone sort of loses their mind when I say it, but this is just like, Poc, like part of Pacino's legacy because all these kids that he like thought it was so important to keep around and to train with the, with the club it doesn't work and they need to go out on loan. And you look at like what's happened with Kane going out on all these loans and skip has gone out on these loans. And then you look at Tanganga and Carl Walker-Peters and these are players that could have long futures at the club. And we've basically like ruined it um, by just keeping them around and, yeah, I feel for Tanganga, but like it's just not up to it, I just don't want to see him again for a long time.
2: I think actually you were the first person I know that suggested Tanganga needs a loan, and I think now it feels pretty universal for sort of Spurs mates of mine that here is a guy that would just benefit from going to, you know, another Premier League team and playing every match, or going abroad and sort of toughening up, playing in Italy or something, and. Yeah, it's it's not it's not a good position at the minute. Is there any is there any player you would want to see start against Chelsea that, you know, might and again perhaps this is this is answering the sort of Son conundrum now that he's injured. Who who does play because Bergwijn it sounds like is on the verge of being sold and Dombele you know, is apparently out pretty much. Dele is in a real trough in terms of form. Is it Lacelso comes in and we play sort of him behind Lucas and Kane and go to more of a sort of three-four-one-two like um, Conte would play at Inter. Tom, who who would you pick?
0: I think Lacelso's is the only option, really, isn't he? as you just listed the players, yeah. who I mean,
2: Brian's perhaps not quite there yet. Maybe I mean, maybe he is. I don't know.
0: Yeah, I like I like Brian and like like you said, playing him against Morecambe with a kind of team of mis underperforming misfits perhaps isn't fair. So I don't want to see Delhi or Ndombele. So yeah, it's gonna to have to be Hill or La
2: Ash, what would you do? would you I mean how, would you mix it up like in a big way, anyone that you would bring in sort of out of the cold or anything? I mean I think Winks deserves to start and it pains me to say that and that's like the
4: spot that we're in through this like mismanagement of the squad but he's been involved in like a fair like a couple of goals recently and I think when he came on the other day we looked better we need to get we've got effectively we've got a score like minimum two goals so I think he deserves to start and yeah I guess it is a toss-up between Brian and and uh, LaSalle so I would probably go for Brian just because it's a bit of a wild card and I think when he came on, he did create the one chance that we
2: had in playing yeah, the game. So, so yeah, that's what I do. Um, give me your, give me your predictions, score predictions. Tom, you first.
0: I think we probably lose two one.
2: Lose two one, on on the night or on aggregate. Sorry,
0: uh, yeah, on the night.
2: Yeah, Ash, um, your your prediction, um, please. I I think maybe like we'll win one 0 and it like won't be enough. I mean, it's not like Spurs to sort of fail gloriously. So I I don't know where you're getting that idea from, Ash. Um, I reckon we'll take it to penalties and lose on pens. I'm going to take it a a notch higher in terms of glorious, sort of tragic failure. And uh, I reckon we'll we'll win like 3-1 on the night and then it'll go to extra time. Both teams won't do anything. And then someone will... Uh, blaze it over the bar in the South Stand or something?
3: I am not very confident. I feel like 2-0 is one of those really horrible score lines where it's just, it kind of like is dangling like a little bit of hope in front of you, but not enough, you know, like maybe we'll win. I can't, I can't see us not conceding. Like maybe, I mean, maybe we would scrape like a 1-0 or something and it wouldn't be enough or I guess like a 2-1. I just think... They're not gonna they're not gonna let it go now that they've got a lead really. I can't I just don't think I just don't think we've got enough really. And basically, that's it. <laughs> I, I'd like to believe, but I really don't. <laughs> and I did um, say I didn't want to play Arsenal in the final, so you know, this way. It's definitely not gonna happen.
2: I suppose that is perhaps one thing we need to cling to is that we would be avoiding the heart attack inducing prospect of a North London Derby um, final. Um, Rosa, give me a score prediction quickly for Chelsea. Um,
3: Honestly, I think it'll be 2-0 to them.
2: Oh, wow. Full bleak.
3: Yeah, sorry.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Before we get too miserable about that game, we should talk about another terrifying fixture that is upcoming. Um, Arsenal on the weekend, Sunday 4.30. Um, Now, I'll be forever grateful to Jose Mourinho for Not too many things, but one thing particularly, that he managed to eke out his weird hex over Arsenal just long enough to ensure that we won the first couple of North London derbies at the new stadium. Um, But this is obviously the first derby there with a full stadium of fans, um, which is kind of mad in itself considering the stadium opened in April 2019. Um, So it's a huge game for us fans, obviously. And obviously it's also an enormous match the race for the top four by winning we could overtake them and still have our two games in hand um but will we win ash are we going to beat arsenal i have no
4: idea i'm so scared
2: (laughs) i I, like i said in our group earlier that like
4: I, i forgot we were playing on sunday and now i know i'm just really really terrified and i not to like over egg it but it kind of feels like a real sliding doors moment. And if we win and like we can lock in top four and get all the players that you want in the summer and like lock them out. And if we lose, they're going to be back and they're going to get the same players that we want and lock us out of top four for the time being. So yeah, not to make it like any bigger than it normally is, but it feels absolutely massive. Um, And I just hope that like we show up because the performance at the Emirates was just an absolute disgrace on every level. And it's just one thing that you just can never accept is just a lack of fight and effort against them lot. Mm. I just can't do it. So I'm not feeling too confident,
2: but who knows? We just gotta show up. Um, Tom, are we gonna show up?
0: I hope so. Surely the players are gonna realise the enormity of that game, they feel they have to show up for that game. But yeah, your intro just made me feel quite sick. And like Ash said, it is a sliding doors moment. And the game at theirs this season was just horrible. Absolutely, I mean last horrible. season as well
2: there's, I mean yeah. that game, you know, the game at theirs, the two one with the Lamella Rabona game. I thought that was. Maybe not as bad as the Nuno defeat, but in terms of like just complete lack of application and looking so terrified and giving Arsenal the respect of a team that you know are not even anywhere near as good as this Arsenal team is now is bonkers to me. Tom, I interrupted. Sorry, go on.
0: No, I just think it, yeah, it'd be a huge statement of intent if we win on Sunday. Um, and yeah, that the last game within that run of of London derbies that we lost under Nuno was, like, was horrific. So um, we've got to do better than that, surely.
2: Rosa, are we going to do better? Are you more confident about this one than you are, Chelsea? Please tell me you are.
3: I am. I'm more confident about this one than Chelsea. Um, I appreciate I've set a pretty low bar. <laughs> 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 I'm not even going to predict. I don't know what's going to happen um, beyond... We have to win. Like, this is the one game we've all said we have to win. So just please do that for us, Tottenham.
2: (laughs) I'm not going to ask for predictions for this one because I feel like that's too tough on everyone's sort of mental state to even try and picture what might happen in this match. Can I ask, though, where is it going to be won and lost? What do we have to do well in order to win? I mean, for me, I think it's about Harry Kane turning up. Honestly, I think without Son, you know, his importance is just, you know, doubled instantly. Obviously, Lucas coming into the form that he's in is a huge bonus. And I think, you know, we've we've touched on him alone, perhaps possessing the sort of big game mentality that is unbelievably useful in these circumstances. But, you know, we we spoke there just before about who replaces Sonny. It's not an inspiring list of candidates to step in. So, for me, it's about Harry Kane sort of rolling back the years, perhaps, and having you know one of those iconic North London derby moments that he that he's loved over the over the years. Ash, who who are you looking to really step up? Who, when where, where do you think we can win this game? I think you nailed it in terms of Kane has to step up, and
4: I've said all season that I absolutely hate him, and the summer killed me, but. If he, like, turns it on for this game, I'll I'll forgive him because I really hate Arsenal. Um, And then in terms of where we won and lost, Mm. I think we have to, like, contain... I mean, I've watched Arsenal recently, like, the weekend aside, like, Saka's, like, looking really good again and it's starting to really worry me. So, Mm. we have to contain him. I guess it's the wing-backs, like, as it always is in the Conte system.
0: Yeah, we've got to find a way to keep Saka quiet because he is such a good player, as much as it pains me to say.
2: He'll be... He's playing off the right at the minute, right? So he'll be up against... And I guess this is one of the... Ben. It'd be Ben and one of Regulon or, or Cessillon, right? If I, I mean, if that, I,
3: that works for us... Re- oh, why am I saying this? But like that works for us reasonably well because the left side is, is stronger, I would say. I think
2: so. I think so. Yeah. I mean, I assume, let's, let's hope that Dyer is back. I assume it'll be Sanchez, Dyer, Davies, and then Royale, and yeah, probably Regulon, I imagine, um, just in terms of his sort of big game experience. So,
0: as we, as we said a week ago as well, when we were rounding up Christmas, the wing backs, the full backs have to step up. Like Reguilon yeah. and Royale need to be on great form both Wednesday and Sunday, really.
2: And I mean, also, I think, you know, I'm I'm definitely guilty of this massively in terms of, like, overegging how good Arsenal are at any given moment. I live in mortal fear of them. It comes from having Arsenal in-laws. Most of my good friends are Arsenal fans. I'm surrounded by them 24-7. I'm haunted by that football club. And indeed, you know, we are entirely, like Ash says, we are... I can't think of another rivalry where in, we're in complete lockstep with them on pretty much everything. It's like, you know, we're both going up against each other to sign um, Blaivic at the moment. We seem to, every single player that gets linked with one club, we're linked with the other. We're always in this battle for top four. It's just unending, this Arsenal thing that we we have. And yet, yeah, are they actually that good? Like, how good are they? Ash, it, Tell me they're rubbish. (laughs) This is the
4: weird. I don't think they are that good. And if you if you look at even recently, like Arsenal did that amazing thing of like losing to Man City, which they were lauded for like up and down the country, and then they follow it up by losing to uh, Forest. Even before that, you look at like who they have played and like where they're on the league table, and they're not beating like big sides and good teams. So. Honestly, like, I, I really think if we like if we do the business on Sunday, like we can end their season. That's how like big it is, and it will like I, not, I I don't know, like it really is that big, and like it will put mm. us like ahead of them, two more games in hand, and it will just be like a, a massive meltdown on every front, and like I think like the manager will be under like huge pressure as well. Yeah,
1: that's
4: so that's where I, I, mean, I don't think they
2: are that good. We. You know, we as fans have got, a, and we will, and the atmosphere will be unreal. But yeah, we've got to, you know, we have to show up big time. I think on Sundays, you know, obviously the players need to do their bit too. But I think as fans, like we were saying, it's the first proper derby in that stadium with a, you know, 62,000 people. It's going to, hopefully the atmosphere is going to just be unreal. And I just hope that the players turn up. Rose, right, is there any other derby thoughts?
3: I'm with Ash in that I just like they surely are not that good. They like lost to Everton. Like Everton, who are just an absolute shambles. So what they what they are doing again now, I guess, is beating the rubbish teams quite comprehensively. and which they were always pretty good at. So I guess that and so this I guess like the weekend is sort of their big their first like really big test, isn't it? So that's not that's not great for them. Um, And I don't know, I guess they've got quite a lot of young players who may not necessarily, who will be up for it, I guess, but who won't necessarily be able to kind of, I don't know, see it through. And you would just have to hope that, we like our defence will be solid enough, and Harry Kane will be able to, yeah, recover. Like, remember that he does actually love scoring in those games because that's the thing we've sort of talked about Kane a bit like before, haven't we? Sort of, like, how many times has he actually done it in like really, really big games? And the North London Derby has always been one of those things. And that's, you know, a huge part of the reason why he is, well, was kind of so loved by us because he did always, always show up for the North London Derby. So it's kind of time to remember. That Harry Kane, I guess. So I sort of have some like vaguely positive thoughts about it. It's just come at a like unbelievably scary time.
2: Please, Harry Kane, just turn up. You can move to City after this if you want. Just turn up on Sunday and put them back in their box because they are. It's weird. I, I think a lot of it's probably bravado, and a lot of it's just sort of Twitter. But they they do seem like really confident. I think the fans, but again, that's just. That's just Twitter noise, isn't it? But I think they're coming into this thinking that they can, you know, they can do the business over us. But like you say, whether the players feel that, this is huge. This is like their biggest game of the season by a long, a long stretch as well. You know, Arteta's not really done particularly well away from home against any big club. And, you know, he's, he's like Ash says, you know, lose this. And I think the meltdown Arsenal experience will be absolutely titanic um again we should probably stop talking about this before we all start sort of just <laughs> keeling over um briefly let's chat about something a little lighter um transfers it's obviously January uh we mentioned Bergvine a little bit um it seems like he might be the first out the door this this window with some solid interest from Ajax who knows he might be gone by the time you're listening to this um is everyone cool selling Stevie B? Everyone fine with that? Tom, are you all right with him going?
0: He didn't score against Marine. <laughs> <laughs> Just to get in the uh, the obligatory Marine reference. Uh, no, I'm very much fine with him going. I was really excited when he joined. Of course, we could go through all the all the signings we've been excited about who've turned out to be flops in the last couple of years. He doesn't score. Uh, and doesn't contribute much in terms of assists or goals. So, uh, yeah, he can definitely go. And if we get anywhere near 20 million for him, I think we paid 25 million for him, it will be great business. Maybe he'll fly again back in the Dutch league.
4: He can go as long as there's a replacement. Mm-hmm. I think, like, part of the issue of, like, the way that we've managed the squad, like, recently, is that we let go of a player, like, say, a Lamella who I know, like, wasn't universally popular but then we bring in like Brian who isn't quite ready yet so I'm more than happy for Bergwijn to go because I think he scored like literally three or four goals so it's not like a massive, a massive thing to replace that, that number of goals but we have to just bring another player because Son's mm. sun's out, it's January and that usually means a cane injury so there just has to be another body
2: that comes in Oh god, I just realised we haven't had the customary cane Ankle injury yet, have we? Jesus Christ. Um, And also, I mean, I think, you know, the the transfer thing in terms of replacements, you know, we just don't replace with the right types of players often as well. I mean, Bergvine's sort of the perfect case in point. He signed a few days after Eriksen left and it's classic Tottenham to sort of watch your one creative sort of genius number 10 type player leave and just sign another winger because they're available and, you know, basically affordable at like 25 million. And, you know, it's reasonably fashionable to sign sort of Dutch wingers. So that'll do, that's fine. It's completely ignoring the massive sort of gaping hole that losing one of your most important players for the last five seasons has has left. Rosa, where are you on Bergvine? I can't remember your your Bergvine stance.
3: Yeah, I absolutely don't care about him at all. that's that's my stance (laughs) He can go. I'm fine with it and to be honest I don't even feel like we'd necessarily need to replace him because like you said he was brought in as to replace someone that he shouldn't have been replacing so I actually sort of feel like he was a kind of extra body in there anyway and I think at this point I'm just we've just got we've just got to get rid of some people and Mm. you know really like and like we've supposedly had Ericsson's replacement kind of ready in Ndombele, so it just didn't... The problem problem with Spurs, as ever, is that we can't... We have to be so good at transfers and we are, like, nowhere... We're not even anywhere near that. We are markedly terrible. So, I don't... (laughs) I don't know. Like, the only times we've... You know, we've got lucky, basically, with, you know, finding a striker down the back of the sofa and um, Son, basically who I don't think anybody saw that coming either. Um, So I I transfer. I I do feel a little bit like Steve Hitchin, it's going to kind of transfer window rolls around. I'm like, Oh my God, I hate this time of year, just because (laughs) the hopes, get everyone's hopes get so high. And I'm like, I just, I don't, you know, I don't even dream about getting another striker anymore. Like that hope's just been like extinguished in me because I just don't think it's going to happen. and I don't even know who – like, for, exa- for example, if we really – like, I would love an Ericsson replacement now, but I'm almost like, can we just not – can we have Ericsson back? Like, the rumours <laughs> about that have just got me more excited than anything. I'm like, that's fine. I've seen him play. I don't even know – a sort of creative midfielder just seems – they seem like gold dust, really. I don't even know where we would get one from. So, yeah, long story short, like, CVB can go. I don't really care. Ericsson, if you want to come back, please do. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, one player that does seem to be on his way, you imagine, um, Adama Traore, who is destined to become, I guess, the new lamella in terms of who, you know, you'll probably have like massive pro Adama people and massive, this is the worst thing to ever happen to Tottenham. He is, you know, awful. He doesn't score. He doesn't assist. I don't care about his dribbling, blah, blah, blah. Um, are people in favour of Adama? Tom, what do you reckon?
0: I'm totally in two minds. I think, do we need another midfielder with no end product? <laughs> <I don't, laughs> probably not. No, especially if we're just about to get rid of Bergvine. But I think it, Billy kind of won me over a bit on um, on our text group. Uh, by saying, you know, remember those days of Aaron Lennon kind of flying forward and everyone suddenly out of their seat. I think there'll be, that clearly is a trauré effect. Um, And he's only 25, uh, so you would think Conte can mould him. You know, I'm sure we must have mentioned Victor Moses a few times. He's the one that's (laughs) always pointed to as the kind of, Uh, magic that Conte can work on a player, so yeah, he's still 25. I don't know, I'm totally torn because I'm so frustrated with all of our midfielders who can't score or assist.
2: So, (laughs) I'm pro. I think I know everyone talks about his end product and you know, his lack of goals and assists. My thing is that he did actually put up pretty good numbers in the one season he was playing with Son and Kane level forwards in Jota and a pre-injury Jimenez. He had 12 assists and six goals in 2019-20, who he's been coached by in England as well. Uh, Since arriving in this country, he's been coached by Tim Sherwood, Remy Gard, Itor Karanka, Gary Monk, Tony Pulis, Nuno and Bruno uh, Large. I don't know how to say Bruno Large. Is it Bruno Large at Wolves now? I don't know. Sorry, Bruno. Um, and it feels like whilst Bruno Large is a good coach, I think he's kind of given up on Traore because he's not signing a new contract, so I just can't really be asked with him. So I do wonder, like Tom says, the old Victor Moses um, sort of thing, can someone like Conte, with his exacting system, his sort of meticulous, this is what you do when you get the ball here, this is what you do when you get the ball there, is he arguably the only coach in world football that could sort of fix Traore in terms of what he does in certain situations. And, you know, we are talking about someone with like almost singular talents in terms of speed and skill and ability to get the ball from one end of the pitch to the other in like 0.3 seconds. So I'm in, I think as a wing back, it could be a ton of fun. Um, Apologies to Emerson Royale. Um, Who's with me, Rosa? (laughs)
3: I'm with you. I'm with you. Um, yeah, but you know what? Why not? And also, like, really, Tottenham? Like, who do we think we are that <laughs> we could just say, you know, when you when you read out his like skills, I was just like, I'm not going to say no, no, we don't want that. No, thank you. <laughs> I'm up for it. And just as an aside, do you remember when Gary Monk was like the next big thing in management? Yeah, uh, that was a, that was a Swansea team, wasn't it?
2: And then was he one of those managers that got swallowed up by Leeds? Yeah, sort of Leeds like broke him, and then. Nothing ever again, and then that's um, it.
0: Yeah. Also, oh, another aside: um, I wish my name was Bruno Large.
2: <laughs> what a name? What a name? We can start calling you that, Tom, if you want. Yeah, Tom that'd Large. be good.
0: Please, no, no, Bruno Large is better, definitely.
2: <laughs> Just a full, a full, Go for name the full thing. To a Bruno full
0: rebrand. Large. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Ash, is are there any former Adama Troya coaches you wish to be rebranded as? Um, tim sherwood perhaps
4: certainly not sherwood yeah no i'll get my gilet out of the cupboard um but i i I do want trial rate if conte wants him i just want to give conte whatever he wants that's all i care about and if we can get him before the weekend yeah yeah, if we can get him before the weekend and he can score the winner and like just make all the arsenal
2: defenders shit themselves even better This is what I keep daydreaming about. What a guy to bring off the bench in a North London derby. I mean, this could backfire dramatically and he could sort of give the ball away in his own box or something. But I just feel like, yeah, what an impact sub this guy could be, particularly without Sonny, Um, you know, whilst he's still maybe learning the ropes of the sort of wing-back finishing school that Conte is going to put him through. Um, Aside, I want to talk to Tom quickly just about a striker Sorry, Bruno Large, um, about a striker. Um, I went into this window thinking, surely we have to sign a striker. Like, we cannot let another window pass without signing a second striker. I sort of feel like I've got this sinking feeling now that we're, because we're out of the conference, we've sort of gotten through the third round of the cup just against lower league opposition And now we've got Brighton, so it's not even like we've got an easy game in the next round. Are we actually now past the point where or we're at the stage where the club can talk themselves out of needing to bother with a second striker because we're only going to play games that Kane's going to start in anyway? Tom, please tell me we are going to sign a striker.
0: No, I think I'm in the same position as Rosa at this point. Like, I'm resigned to us never buying a second striker. It was... Totally absurd that we didn't buy a striker in the summer. It was absurd. The window before that—it's like it's just uh, insane. So no, I, you know. And what will happen, which has happened many times before, is the club will just brief journalists that they think Traore will play as a striker or Lucas and Son or whoever Hill will be brilliant up front while Kane's injured. I'm like, I'm so mm. bored of being told that. Wingers are strikers. Bergwein as well. We were, I'm sure we were told that he would basically act as a striker. And yeah. as Ash said, I think he's got three goals or something. So I don't know. I watched a YouTube video that, um, that Billy <coughs> sent earlier of a Belgian lad called Charles De Ketelaere and got excited by that. <laughs> I mean, that's just it's just ridiculous that, yeah, I'm left watching a video of a 20-year-old and getting excited. But, um yeah, maybe we'll do it. I don't know. I don't know. I've, no, I'm, I've got no hope that we'll sign a striker.
2: I feel like we are going to sign... I think we will get Adama, and I think we will sign another player. I just... It seems so far-fetched though that I can't think who or how or what. Ash, do you reckon we're going to be active and actually deliver on a couple of players? Yeah, I do. I think we'll get, like,
4: two or three i have no idea who they are but i'm just waking up in constant fear and like checking socials that Arsenal don't get the Florentina striker because if they do i'm gonna be in full meltdown mode like you've never seen before it will be unprecedented (laughs) so that just can't happen it just like cannot happen and if we get him then top four sewn up but yeah i think i think we'll get someone in for sure
2: I had an awful moment the other day when um, I think actually you were to blame. I think you'd sent something around that Arsenal were like getting far along with Vlajevic. And I sort of huffed or put my phone down aggressively or something. And my wife asked what the matter was. And I had to sort of explain. (laughs) And when you unpick the tragedy of being so impacted by the idea that not my club. Another club will sign a 21-year-old Serbian striker that plays in Italy. That, If I'm being entirely honest, I've never watched play a 90-minute game of football. Um, but the signing of would lead me to the sort of meltdown that Ash is describing. Sort of puts into context what this sport does to you, really, doesn't it? It's just ridiculous. Um, Bruno Large in your videos of teenage Belgians. Um is there any... What What do you reckon we will do then, Tom? Do you reckon we'll do anything at all other than perhaps Adama, the wing-back, come striker, come winger, come midfielder, we'll be told he is?
0: I mean, surely we're going to get a centre-back, aren't we? Um, because... Roden, Rose is
2: shaking her head. No. no I
0: mean, Roden <laughs> and Tanganga proved they can't even cut it against Morecambe, so...
2: I would hope so. I think that it sounds like that sort of left-sided centre-back is somewhere that conte feels we need to get someone else other than gentle ben let's move on and close out with our culture picks and leave that wretched football club behind <laughs> for a couple of joyous minutes um we're sorry if we have bummed you out uh we'd like to we pride ourselves normally on being quite upbeat and i don't know if we've delivered this week but i think that would have been false and we would have been lying to you all so no apologies actually um Rosa, tell me your culture pick for this week.
3: Yeah, just quickly, like, no apologies. Everybody listening to us, like, they know what club they support. <laughs> um, my culture pick, well, I'm a bit sad about this, mine this week, actually, and sort of carrying on the theme, because I watched The Power of the Dog um, over three nights last week, which maybe was part of the problem. And I I love Jane Campion. Um, like, The Piano and Bright Star are two of my favourite films. But this one just was a real letdown, to be honest. Um, So I, I sort of, I can't recommend it, but I just did want to talk a little bit about it really quickly. I think probably it was one of those things where if I'd been able to go and see it in the cinema, it would have been a completely different experience because it looks incredible and it's impeccably acted. But it was just a sort of weird experience of watching a Jane Campion movie that was just mainly about men, which is not really her usual vibe and not something like i just i don't i don 't get why she made it, basically, so it was a bit of a so that was a disappointment but um I did also finally finish reading this absolutely extraordinary novel, which took me about two months to read because it was pretty heavy going, but it is genuinely extraordinary um by the Korean writer um han Kang um her novel Human Acts, which is set. Um, in South Korea in 1980, there was a sort of student democratic uprising against the military dictatorship there. And it was brutally, brutally suppressed. And she writes about it from the perspective of six different people who were involved. And like it's really, it's obviously a very, very tough thing to read about. But it's just absolutely incredible. I can't really recommend it enough it's again that's sort of a period of history I'm quite ignorant of the way she writes and it's from these different perspectives I was I, I felt so 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 moved by it in ways I can't fully articulate and it's it's also you know testament to the translator as well um it's just a, a, an exceptionally written novel just kind of giving that's so that is very human, like it's a great title, human acts. It's very empathetic, it's very wise, it's unflinching at what it's talking about, what it's looking at, Um, but you don't, so you kind of put it down feeling really sort of awestruck by the real people who were involved and their sort of bravery, really. So sort of a testament to how brave human beings can be at the same time as how sort of cruel they can be, so. I'm so, I, I'd wanted to read it for a really long time. Um, and I'm so, so glad I did, even though it took me a very, very long time to get through it, because it's a tough read, extraordinary, but pretty tough.
2: Wow. And I loved hearing you talk about that, Rosa. Thank you very much for your two picks. Um, Ash, give me yours, please. Only I can top, Rosa. That was, <laughs> but that, none that of us can, can really if Don't worry about that.
4: <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I just started watching the new season of Gomorrah, which I mentioned previously uh, on this podcast, when we. Hired Conte, which is absolutely amazing. It's definitely that. Um, and then I've been watching these music box documentaries on Sky. They're very depressing, though. But there was like, there's a few episodes. Uh, one of them is about Dmx and his life, which is really beautifully done. There's one about Woodstock '99 and how it just descended into chaos. And there's one about Juice World, who's like a recent rapper who sadly passed away. But all amazing stories and really well done. So. I definitely recommend checking those out on Sky
2: if you get a chance. Very cool. Tom, over to you.
0: Nice. Thanks, Ash. I need to watch those and start Gamora as well. Uh, Two quick things. Uh, It seems weird to be recommending the album that's going to go to number one in probably every country in the world this week. Uh, But The Weeknd's new album, Dawn FM, is very good. There's a really great, the kind of four or five tracks in the middle are really good, include a great, tyler the creator verse who some he somehow turns in 30 second guest verse verses for people and like steals the show every time and there's a big kind of, across that album there's a big influence of like gary newman and yazoo and 80s electro pop um so yeah i'm enjoying that album and then very different i'm reading a book about robert maxwell the um kind of media tycoon uh who died and fell off a boat and of course um has just child uh Ghislaine has been in the news recently he well the boat he fell off was called the Lady Ghislaine um because he named it after his favorite daughter anyway he was a spy a Labour MP he owned the Daily Mirror um and you know his his empire fell apart it basically we've talked a lot about succession on this show but it will like it seems more than believable when you read this book about robert maxwell it's called um yeah the fall uh and it's by john preston who wrote a uh, very english scandal which was on tv and the dig as well which starred kerry mulligan that was on netflix nice. yeah
3: truly truly rotten family the maxwell's right like mm. yeah and- when he died and he'd like swindled like all of these pensioners out of all their money like and a criminal
2: the- these are some good picks this week guys um I am going to recommend a couple of things. Um, The first thing uh, is The Lost Daughter, which is on Netflix. Um, I just There's lots I loved about this movie, but I particularly love seeing two just incredibly charismatic but totally different actors in Olivia Colman and uh, Dakota Johnson on screen together, um, sort of dueling it out almost. That was just a real treat. Um Maggie Maggie Gillenhall is clearly an incredible director. Um anyone who can adapt um an Elena Ferrante novel so effortlessly is clearly someone to watch. Um definitely recommend watching that because it's on Netflix now. Um and then the second one's not actually very cultural at all, um, aside from perhaps sort of lovely sweeping shots of Turin, um, Andrea Pirlo's wardrobe and the architecture of some of the players' houses. But I have been watching the uh, Juventus all or nothing season on Amazon Prime, um, partly because um, my wife's got COVID at the moment. So we're sort of split off into different rooms for our, our evening watching. And I've um, descended into sort of stereotype and just watching football more. But it's it's, pre- it's pretty good. Um, and it's quite interesting from a Spurs perspective because you get to see old... Uh, Fabio Paratici in action, um, sort of behind the scenes, and you realise just how integral he was to pretty much everything Juventus did. Um, sort of almost acting as the kind of manager, really. And Pirlo is very much the sort of first team coach, and all decisions go through him. So, from a Spurs um, perspective, definitely um, a lot of interest from from that angle. Um, also, just fun. There's a brilliant brilliant scene where Ronaldo just has like a massive meltdown and like a massive, massive baby. And it's really enjoyable to watch because Juventus aren't actually that good in that season. Um, Anyway, those are my picks. I thank you for yours guys. Um, And I thank you for your thoughts, fears and opinions on everything Tottenham Hotspur this week. Uh, I'd like to say I thoroughly enjoyed it. I'm just really frightened by what's, what's to come this week, but fingers crossed
0: Let's just talk about a week today. We're recording and all in an amazing mood because we've beat (laughs) Chelsea and Arsenal.
2: Laughing at how lily livered and terrified we were a week ago. Ash is shaking his head. Come on, you Spurs. We can do it. We can do it. Um, Billy's not here to see us out, but um, someone else can say uh, up the Spurs. Bruno Large, I think it's one for you, mate. Up the
0: Spurs.